0: Rugby World Cup podcast. On a day and night of incredible drama, it's a case of goodbye, cruel World Cup for Eddie Jones and the Wallabies. You can only imagine the agony the players went through as they sat through watching Fiji stutter, struggle, and ultimately fall to Portugal 23 22. As every Australian rugby fan knew, Christy Doran, they needed to win by eight points to see Australia through to the next round. How annoying was that?
1: (laughs) Oh, that was every sort of emotion, wasn't it? And you're right. Wouldn't it be great to be a fly on the wall of that hotel room? We've been there before. It is a nice one, but wow, it would have been an agonising watch for all of the Wallabies and indeed Australian rugby fans. And I'll tell you what, I'm on the streets of dance. I've just ducked inside to our hotel here and I've never heard a crowd not go for Fiji. Everyone here on the streets of France <laughs> yeah. in us were going for Fiji uh, for, for going for Portugal. And what an incredible victory against the odds. Uh, they've shown so much throughout this tournament. It's so great that they're here. World rugby, read the room. This is a time to embrace these tier two nations that continually are just there to be kind of just feed off the scraps. What a, what a moment for the international game.
0: I, I'm assuming that our uh, Argentinian brethren weren't uh, heartbroken for the Wallabies. It was more about seeing Portugal actually get up and have a win. I mean, like, in a way, for neutrals, this is a perfect result. Portugal get the biscuits, but, uh, you know, Eddie and the boys have to head home anyway.
1: There was no don't cry for me, uh, Australia. <laughs> that was certainly not the case tonight. Uh, look, it is a great moment for the neutrals of this world, and we've, we've needed it, haven't we? The world has needed a, a result like we've experienced not only tonight in terms of Portugal, a, a side-ranked 16th in the world, toppling a, a top-10 nation. Uh, a side that's already beaten the Wallabies, uh, a side that pushed Wales all the way. But then the amazing uh, circumstances where Fiji, in fact, progressed over the two tied world champions, Australia, who who bow out despite being both on 11 points. You know, Fiji beating Australia 22-15 in, in a couple of weeks ago uh, means that regardless of the points differential which australia was worse regardless uh, they won't go through and there, there's a lot to pick up and, and i know the guys harry jones brett mckay will talk about it more in detail in the coming days but there's so much to pick up with australian rugby at the moment but there's also so much to talk about how much good there is in the game that 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 you can celebrate a moment like this and it's not just that portugal beat fiji it's that they did a Fiji on Fiji. They played with such amazing uh, running rugby, a desire to attack. Uh, we saw it all the way through. They bombed a couple of tries. Fiji. Uh, it was uh, like such it a happened.
0: chaotic game.
1: Yeah. Wasn't it? It was and, such and, a bad game, night- wasn't it? A nightmare as a reporter where you kind of, you, you've got a couple of different intros and then you, in the end, you've got to settle with one. And But, it was, it was thrilling. And it was a game that really, I think, wakes the world up because a five-week pool stage is a long one. Like that's a, it's a slog for a lot of people to get through this. We've spoken about the delays, three days, often in between matches, sometimes four. But this was a moment to kind of awaken everyone before the quarterfinals, which I'm so excited about. The Rugby World Cup on the Roar.
0: I was in the live blog covering that for theraw.com.au and I think when I kicked off, there were about four desperates in there and they no one really gave Portugal a chance. And as it built, it built, it built, it built, and the excitement really got there. There was a point there where Portugal led by seven and they were on the 22 of Fiji and they were really hammering, hammering the line and then there was another turnover and Fiji went down the other end and scored it never really got back to that margin again. But it just felt like it could be on. Would it have been a great, you know, robbery for Australia to get through? In a way, is this the elimination
1: Australia had to have? I, don't, I Look, good, good question. I don't think so because unlike in 2015 when the Wallabies managed to get through to a final when they probably should have been knocked out in the quarters, Craig Joubert penalty helped Bernard Foley manage to step up and, and say goodbye to Scotland and, and they were too good for Argentina, they made the final and I think that was the moment that tapered over a lot of the cracks that was present in Australian rugby. Right now it's plainly obvious, you, you can't lose two, two matches in, in four in a pool stage and expect to qualify uh, the, the heat is firmly on not just Eddie Jones but the entire Rugby Australian administration, but in addition to that, the wider national landscape. And in many ways, I think it would have been a, a blessing, not just for the fact that, yes, a quarters, but, but I think that Fiji won't, they won't fear England. They beat them less than two months ago at Twickenham. Uh, I covered that at the time. Um, and and, and a, look, they're going to have to be like a lot that.
0: better than they were tonight, right? Because tonight they were totally. terrible at times. They were really, really nervous and jittery, and just couldn't couldn't hang on to the ball.
1: Yeah, and, the, and and totally, they were they were they were poor. They were extremely poor. And if they, you're right. If they play anything like that, they do in a, in a quarter final. England should pull them to pieces. But but it. The the psychological difference between going into a game knowing you only need to get a point and you might lose the game, but if you score four tries, you still get the point. If you finish within eight points, you you get the point. I just felt like in the same way that England struggled against Samoa, they won 18-17, a great result for the Pacific Islands once again. Uh, This was a game where I think it's a very difficult one for you to get up to because you're already looking one week in advance. The assistant coaches are already analyzing what they're going to be doing against England in a week's time. So to focus on a side like Portugal who love using the ball, have got sevens running through their veins, and we, we saw that tonight, their desire to attack and how refreshing it is for the game. But uh, I, I thought it would be a difficult one for them to get up to. It would either be a fast start or it would be a massive grind. And as it turned out, it was a grind. They lost by a point. And now they've got a week to turn it around, but they won't fear England. And that's the amazing thing about this world cup at the moment. There's so many uh, people bemoaned the fact that the top four sides in the world are on one side of the draw. You know what? I, I don't subscribe to that at all because you to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And, you know, well, it, it, well the other
0: it, side of that christy is that it means that every one of these quarterfinals is actually going to be a tight game there's there's going absolutely. to be and it might be at different levels but you're going to get absolute belters of games all the way through there's going to be it doesn't appear that there'll be mismatches in this and we we're trying to do some predictions earlier and they're all they're all coming in quite closely and a bit of a you know who who turns up on the day which can be you know which is a great thing right?
1: Absolutely, and that's what you wanted. You, you go through the history of the Rugby World Cup, and seldom have there been three grouping quarterfinals or four grouping gro- finals, uh, quarterfinals. And and we're going to see that in a week's time in both Paris and in and in Marseille. And uh, you know, some people might go on the other hand. Oh, well, what about the semi-finals? You know, if if Wales progress over Argentina and indeed England against Fiji or what does that mean? Is it going to be a blowout in a semi-final? I don't think so because semif- semi-final rugby typically and knockout rugby is a different kettle of fish. It, you only need to win, and that's a different psychology where everyone tightens up. For sides like Ireland that had never progressed past a quarter-final, they're going to be tense no matter who they play. And wow, like you hear the atmosphere today, and I was in Nance, and and. Argentina already played their first knockout. They beat Japan thirty-nine to twenty-seven, a seesawing and dong battle, and the atmosphere was fabulous. Wild. Game was too, a, yeah, and 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 that's going to be right across the board. Yeah, yeah.
0: look, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into the quarterfinals in a minute, but I just feel like maybe we're letting the Wallabies off the hook a little too easily before we get there. So let's just let's just have a look at them, Eddie Jones. I know you've written something today about what you think should happen there, or what you think might happen there. A lot of people are thinking, "Okay, he's had a week now where we've we've all been like, you know, dreaming of this fairy tale. The fairy tale hasn't happened. What happens with Eddie Jones? On well, it's uh, Monday already, but what happens with Eddie Jones when he gets back? Is he our coach next year? Should he be? What's going to happen there?"
1: Well, the interesting thing, and I don't think this has been reported anywhere, but the interesting thing is that Eddie Jones is going to be coaching the Barbarians at the start of November against, mm-hmm. against I think, Wales and Cardiff. And first week of November, the, typically there is games involving the Barbarians. Uh, it's been an extended one uh, because he he's helped set up to get a a pack of Aussies just in case there was injuries and and he didn't even actually bring up anyone. But <laughs> that, that's a different subject altogether. But he'll be coaching alongside Scott, Scott Robertson, uh, the the incoming All Blacks coach. So he's not necessarily going to have to face uh, the review. And I, that, that'll be taking place over the coming weeks and months. And, and in mid-November, I think there'll be much more to say about that, but he won't be coming back on Australian soil for some time, I don't think. And and that'll be uh, that'll be interesting, unless he comes back decides to go to Australia and then come back. Uh, he's not going to face the music for a little while. What should happen? I, I still think that Rugby Australia can't afford to pay this guy out. He's on million a million dollars a year as, as Wallabies coach? He's one. He's less than one year into a five-year deal. Uh, you know, if you're going to pay someone like a Dan McKellar, get him out of a contract, you're paying more money, uh, there are a lot of moving parts at the moment. There are bigger things at play here at the moment, which is, I think is centralization. It's whether or not the states are on board. RA's got to consolidate what's going on in their own backyard before they really look at, whether or not the head coach should be there and and for how long or how long and how much of the string you give him because there's so many moving parts in Australian rugby at the moment.
0: So many moving parts, but also just quite a lot of, I don't know, misery as well. Maybe misery is not the exact word, but uh, there's a story up on site that um, is a section of an interview that Michael Liner, obviously 1991 World Cup winner, Gave with uh, the BBC podcast, and you and I listened to that the other day. And it's um, he's talking about the possibility of the very game going down a sinkhole. That you know that there are too many Super Rugby teams that the players aren't choosing rugby over over league. Uh, like it's been a bit of suspended disbelief while this campaign has just fallen to pieces around around us, but. It, there's a sustained hangover coming, right? And Eddie's part of that as well. Like there is a, there is a real position now where Australian rugby fans and the rugby community is going to have to fight against this feeling that it's all, you know, it's all doomed. It's all all gone up shit creek without a paddle, right? So, so do you see? You know, do you see a bright future in the short term and, and the long term, or you are you, uh, are you um, up that very creek?
1: Two things I'll say on that. First, twenty fifteen, England gets knocked out; don't make it past the pool, and everyone thinks that the world in England anyway. Everyone thinks that the world is 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 falling beneath them, and they make a World Cup final four years later. Eddie Jones comes in. Uh, and and takes them not only to 17 straight victories, 18 in total, with Lancaster's English side beating Uruguay in their last pool game in in 15, but they make the World Cup final. And if you go backwards even uh, further to to 2007, New Zealand once again struggle to, uh, at a World Cup campaign, they get bowed out in, in, in France in the quarterfinals and... Everyone in New Zealand was saying that the world is ending before their eyes. The New Zealand Herald's putting back pages on the on in the newspapers and saying it's the end of the world. What did they do? They they had a real look at themselves and asked themselves questions. Are these people who are the Graham Henry, Steve Hansen, are these actually good coaches? They are, they worked out yes. They asked the administration, are these the right people in charge? Steve Chew, etc. Yes what do we need to do we need to get closer together more aligned with the states uh the provinces in new zealand Uh, we need to make sure that we're getting the call right not just at the senior age group from the crusaders and the hurricanes the blues super rugby level but those that are coming through that the pathways are right and that they're all getting taught the same thing same principles regarding scrum resets how to take the ball how to catch and pass Things that Mick Byrne was putting into operation when they would go out and they'd spot the best hundred players between the ages of fourteen and seventeen, and make sure that when they go into a super program, that they have those core skills. Those sorts of things need to be looked at at Australian level, and and clearly, they, those discussions are happening at the moment with centralisation. We know that New South Wales Waratahs have handed in the keys, uh, their high performance and the commercial programs are going to be run out of RA. RA obviously hopes that that's going to have a trickle-down effect, a domino effect with other states falling in line. The Rebels are close. The Brumbies are holding out from a commercial aspect. But from a high-performance perspective, there's a fair bit of alignment. And to me, that's the crucial thing over the next two years. Uh, there, there's a, there's enough talent in this squad, and we've got to remember that Taniela Tupo, Angus, uh, uh, Will Skilton, mm-hmm. Alan Alatoa yeah three crucial forwards in tight head props and and tight head locks go down. And I think they would have beaten Fiji. But regardless, there needs to be a stronger core underbelly that really pushes through. And at the very least, there is a... With only five guys that were over the age of 30 for this World Cup campaign... There is a massive uh, amount of potential in this group that should be able to come through, blossom over the next two to four years. And that's so crucial going forward into a Lions and a Home World Cup campaign.
0: Christy Doran, you've made me a believer. You've made me a believer. You, I'm on board, man. Have- I'm on board with you. I don't-
1: Look, there's there's not many there's not many kind of green shoots out of this, other than the fact that it's a young young squad that Eddie Jones has such a crucial responsibility because he's been someone that's been uh, criticised for dispensing players too quickly, going through coaches way too quickly, no one wanting to work with him. In reality, there's there's parts of that are probably true, but. You speak to the current Wallabies group at the moment. They're firmly behind Eddie Jones. Why? They're young. They're probably naive, but they also recognise that he can coach. And everyone that Eddie Jones has ever coached also recognises that he can coach, including Clive Woodward who, who's, Woodward, who said that he may have hoodwinked Rugby Australia, but fundamentally he's a good coach. So there are a couple of the, the things that I think you need to consider before you make a a really big judgment on whether or not Rugby Australia should toss away Eddie Jones, like most of the coaches in Australian rugby have been tossed away over the last 10 to 15 years. Rugby World Cup on
0: the Raw. The Raw Rugby podcast and our World Cup specials are brought to you by ASICS, the maker of the kits for the Wallabies team at the 2023 World Cup. You can get online at asics.com.au and check out their gear there. Uh, We're really appreciative of the partnership that they've formed with us during this World Cup. I know they would have liked to have seen their jerseys go all the way to Paris. Unfortunately, they won't be. But Christy and myself will be. We'll be there for the quarterfinals on through semifinals and to the final. Uh, It means fewer Eddie uh, Jones press conferences. It means fewer Wallabies talking about how... Blown away, they are that Eddie's never sleeps and is up uh, in the gym at 4 a.m. But I'm sure we'll find plenty of storylines out of this lineup. Uh, So, running through it, we have quarterfinal number one is Wales, who obviously topped Australia's pool C, winning all four of their games, including that thumping 40 to 6 win over the Wallabies, up against Argentina. So, Wales Argentina is Sunday, 2 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time, coming from Marseille. Uh, Christy, will start there. What's your tip? What's your thought? What are you looking forward to in that one? How do you see that unfolding?
1: Well, I caught up with Michael Checker afterwards uh, this afternoon, announce, and he, it's a different one because I said to him, well, this is the third straight World Cup that you're going to be up against Warren Gatlin's Wales, and he said, I hadn't actually thought about that, but this is the first time that it's going to be a knockout match, and clearly Australia won in 2015 and a thrilling game. They lost in 2019 in Tokyo. And now Chequers' Argentinian side is going to be playing Wales. I think that Wales are the the heavy favourites, but Argentina can cause an upset here. And I say that for two reasons. One, they they put a lot of pressure at the breakdown. And two, they're a side that is all about momentum and confidence. And they've got a fair bit of it. they got their attack in order against Japan on Sunday. Uh, and if they can get their kicking game right, hold on to the ball, they're, they're a serious chance. I'm gonna I'm gonna back I'm gonna back uh Argentina.
0: Even without Pablo Matera who it appears has torn a hamstring and seemed in quite a bit of distress today.
1: And I saw him on cutches this afternoon. Look, I think the mm. the Wales side, you know, they have suffered a couple of injury blows themselves with Fallatao uh being ruled out. That's a huge loss to them too. So uh, yeah, I Anscombe
0: think, uh, with a groin injury um, and Dan yeah, Biga not, not
1: 100%. Yeah, and so, you know, putting all of that together, Wales have probably exceeded expectations in the pool. I'm not quite sure if Argentina are quite yet played to their full potential, but if they can, they're a side that can frustrate uh, this Welsh team.
0: I'm really looking forward to seeing the uh, continuing excellence of Luis. Uh, Reese Zamet, I just think he's been a sensational player in this World Cup so far. Love his style. Love his style. He, he, of course, models himself on Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, and he just brings a real edge to the game. I, th- I, I think he could be the difference maker.
1: Anything to get some football into her Uh so Well played,
0: <laughs> Jack Morgan. I thought I'd split that one in there. Uh, it's, a, it's been a happy day in the um, Arsenal supporting household. Uh, Quarter final two, we have Ireland versus New Zealand. That's not a bad match. You'd, you, you, you'd get up for that one, wouldn't you? That's Sunday, 6 a.m., Australian Eastern Daylight Time. That one's coming from the beautiful Stade de France where this journey started for us a long way back when uh, the Kiwis were knocked over by the French. Um Wow, Ireland, 17 straight, isn't it? And... Having beaten New Zealand 2 1 last year, do they? I mean, are they favourites for this?
1: Are they favourites for this? No. I say that because they've got the history of every campaign before them where they haven't progressed past the quarterfinals, but they are the world number one, but they're up against the three time world champions in New Zealand who are playing some scintillating rugby themselves. I, I, I think Ireland has the ball, the all round game plan a balanced side to be able to deal with New Zealand's threats. They're going to be likely uh, without Tyra Lomax, the tight head prop. That's a bit of a blow for them. But Ireland themselves are battling some injury concerns with Hans and James Lowe got a, a knock to the eye. James Ryan, the, the really impressive second rower, has got a, a bang to the wrist himself. So uh, that'll play a part in it, I'm sure, I think Ireland, and I was there last night, the wave of momentum that they have with this huge green army, that could be the difference maker because had they not got home against Scotland or or not beaten South Africa and they finished second and they take on France, clearly they're not going to have the home support. But now that they're taking on New Zealand, it'll, it should be two-thirds at least supporting the Irish. And having heard how loud it was, uh, last night at the start to France, oh, I think Ireland has enough. Are they favourites? I don't think many teams are ever favourites when they're up against the All Blacks.
0: We've watched the All Blacks play their last two matches, and they've just been uh, putting on some astonishing attack. I'm sure, the opposition uh, hasn't been great, but they've just got that depth, haven't they? And the ability to to turn it on. They're coming in with you know, with the Holly and Foster situation, and perhaps giving them a. Bit of an edge there as well. I, I'm seeing a lot of talk from the Irish team as well. They're talking about uh, Andy Farrell's already trying to get into their, their their minds about how much it would mean to New Zealand and and the pressure being on them. Also, there's a bit of a subplot there. There's uh, like it was a pretty fractious test series down in New Zealand last year where New Zealand won the first test, but Ireland came back and won. Um, the next two to start this incredible streak they're on. A uh, bit of um, trash talk too with Peter O'Mani having a few words to Sam Kane. Uh, do you recall what he said?
1: Oh, I think he, on no certain terms, said, You're a shit reaching McCall, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> how? Um, I wouldn't go that far. I think the Wallabies would kill for a Sam Kane right now, Who's who's <laughs> just such a workhorse. But Fair play to Romani. You get the chocolates by winning the first series in New Zealand in a couple of decades. A bit of smack talk, well played. But what goes around, it comes around. And it's about time that the Irish deliver to the quarter final. And no better time than when they've got a, the amount of cohesion they do, the experience they do, a, a fit Johnny Sexton. Uh, no excuses coming into this, even though they've got one or two injury concerns, particularly out wide.
0: I think uh Australia would kill for a shit Richie McCall right now as well, to be honest. But Uh-oh. we move on to uh quarter final number three, and that's a day later. That is England versus Fiji, Monday, 2 a.m. at AEDT in Marseille, which uh should have been us, man. It should have been us. We could have been a contender. It could have been the Ashes reprise Australia, England, Forthwick and Eddie whole bunch of sadness wrapped up in this. But let's go. Uh, I did not see anything from Fiji tonight that suggests that they could cope with one minute of pressure and England, I mean, they're, they've been a bit boring, but, you know, I, I expect them to get the job done. What about you?
1: Yeah, but everyone expects them to get the job done. You know, they're the side that's going in there as the favourites. The last couple of matches... The expectation's been on Fiji, and clearly they haven't handled the expectation well. Solomon Rauloui's got a big job ahead of him about getting their mentality right, but England's not not a great side at the moment. They've still got concerns around who's the driver, who's the captain, who's the commander of 10 and 12. They've got Marcus Smith, who's got all this talent in the world, but has been benched or, or and, and might not even make the 23 next week. Uh, depending on what Steve Borthwick does, I, I, you know England eighteen seventeen over Samoa just on 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 Saturday they were poor themselves. I, you give Fiji a chance if they can start well because even though England will be a, a hardened side that knows what to do in 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 Premiership finals in European Championship finals with Alan Farrell made the last World Cup. They've won them one back in 2003. Uh, England's fragile, and if you can get to that underbelly and if Fiji can expose them by playing Fiji and rugby, they're, they're a strong chance.
0: And we move to quarterfinal four, which is France and South Africa. That's Monday, 6 a.m., back at start de France. Uh, you will be there for that one. The... Key here, I think, Um, and there's a lot of speculation over whether DuPont will return in time for this one. Uh, You would think that if he's fit enough, then it's a no-brainer that he actually goes out there and gives it a go in this, with it being knockout stage. Uh, South Africa, you know, a couple of couple of, uh, you know, concerns over their kicking and over their, who's who's going to step up there, over their selections. They're a tough team to beat, though. This seems like the closest call for me.
1: Oh, well, look, if you're going to say that, I, I don't know how you can look past New Zealand and Ireland. I think they're both crackers, and awful, four are going to be brilliant. Oh, the one thing I haven't understood about the Springboks campaign is the fact that they didn't have Andre Pollard and uh, Le Camus mm. Am in there from the outset and... Yes, they've returned, whether or not they play, what parts they play, but I just thought it was strange. They took a very unbalanced squad into the World Cup, and yes, they've made it and in, in, into the into the last eight, but I think they've made, them, made it harder for themselves. And whether or not they can bring it all together with there being so many moving parts and with guys coming in and out of the squads, that's not necessarily an easy thing. And And South Africa has kind of done it, uh, they've been doing it for four years. They've been doing it ever since Rosie Erasmus took over, in fact. But uh, from Alistair it But I, I just think that that France, like Ireland, have got this wave of momentum behind them.
0: You're right, man. It's going to be a fantastic weekend or a couple of days of rugby. The Wallabies have gone home. Doesn't mean we will. Doesn't mean that you should stop paying attention out there. And I'm sure you won't, rugby lovers. Um, It's been an absolute ball. We've been in St Etienne for a month, Christy and myself, and uh, it's time to move on, time to pack up the pad, move on, and watch the big boys go for it a couple more weeks, and we will be having a champion of this event. So make sure you stick around on theraw.com.au, like and subscribe our podcast wherever you can, Brett and Harry. We'll be back on Tuesday with their regular podcast with a special guest, uh, I believe, of the Irish Persuasion. Catch you later.